2 Corinthians, or I mean, sorry, 2 Timothy uh, 4.6, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That's pretty, that's pretty cool, you know? That took a lot of effort. That took a lot of energy. And we have two people in our midst that I know of that ran a race this past week. And I'm pretty proud of them. Uh, Jill, last week, she ran in that 26-mile race. I'll tell you, yeah, anybody that can run in that and finish it, I mean, they, they need to be respected. That is just absolutely awesome because that takes discipline. It takes work. You just don't do that overnight. And um, this week, I was at the um, Toledo City, uh, the regional uh, track races, and where my granddaughter, Tori, uh, was participating. She ran in six, or she ran in three races. She ran in the 400, which she took first place, broke her record and the school record. And then she rode, uh, ran in the 800 and came in second place. And she ran in the four by four and she went in second place. And here, this little school called Monclova Christian Academy, which I'm kind of proud of. Uh, they came in out of all the schools first place. A hundred and thirty some points to like ninety points. I mean that is amazing, and they couldn't have done it without my granddaughter. <laughs> oh, praise God! I'll tell you. You know, when you're gonna run a race. There is one little thing that is so important you do before you start running. And you know what that is? You stretch. You stretch. Because if you don't stretch, you're going to break something. You know, when the time comes to run, you better have already prepared yourself by doing some stretching. So we're on this series called Stretch Us, God. And... Um, can I step where there's a little more light? Um, I can move stuff back to the here, that's, that, that's a little more helpful. Um, the older I get, the more light I need, and the more I need uh, these little things right here. And I just remembered this morning that uh, as I got here, I said, I have some special glasses for preaching. They're a little bit shorter, so I can see over them easier. And I forgot them. So I'm going to struggle a little bit with these glasses this morning because I can see you, but I can't see what's down here. So, amen. All right. Well, thinking we all do it. I know some of you are saying, oh, come on, Bill, I question that. But yes, we do. We all think. Um, thinking controls who you are and your future. Each one of us processes thinking differently, but we all think. Some of us think more analytically, and some of us think from more of a creative way of thinking, but we all think. All of us were born of a woman, but... From that point on, things are different. Our joys and our sorrows in life are different, and those things affect the way we think. From that time of birth, 
things were different. Some of us had a better quality of education. Some of us had a lower quality of education. It affects the way you think. Some of us were born with a silver spoon in our mouth and some a wooden ladle. And for me, it was two fingers. (laughs) So you can tell I came from the poverty side. Some of us love to think. I love to think. I, I do. And some of us say thinking gives us a headache. Now, that's my wife. You know, we're kind of opposite. I'll come out in the morning, and she's just trying to have her nice, quiet time with her coffee. And, and I'm saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? She says, I don't want to think. I don't want to think. But we all think. She's thinking about something. I don't know what she's thinking about, but she's thinking about something. As long as it's not another chore that she's got for me, another honeydew. That's right. So, uh, I tell you, you know, there are people who are able to take two nickels and rub them together and become millionaires, and there are those who have inherited millions, or maybe they won the lottery and have lost it all. And what's the difference? It's the way they think. There are analytically minded people who end up with paralysis of analysis. And then there are creative people, or, and then there are also these, these people that are uh, analytically minded who can build empires with hundreds and maybe millions of parts. There are creative thinkers who dream of the world but absolutely go nowhere. And then there are those who bring those dreams into reality and accomplish great things. You know, thinking is about making decisions. You've heard it said that no decision is still a what? A decision. Or maybe you've heard it this way. Making no decision is a decision to do nothing. And nothing always brings us to nowhere. Or nothing. Every decision we make affects our future. That can be frightening when we make probably, what, hundreds of decisions every day. You decided what socks you're going to wear, what shoes you're going to wear. I mean, just your, putting your clothes on was probably 10 to 20 decisions before you got out of the bathroom this morning. Multiple decisions, that can be frightening. And some decisions have a greater effect upon our lives than others. It's like the decision of what am I going to have for lunch? I don't have to worry too much about that because in three more hours, I'm going to have something else. I have a fish sandwich for lunch and I'll have a hamburger for in the afternoon. Well, I probably wouldn't have a hamburger. I would probably have a chicken sandwich. But there are some decisions that have greater effect on another, like picking out what our lunch is, or picking out our mate in marriage. And then there are those little things, the what-ifs, or the coulda, shoulda, woulda. You ever hear that? You know, I wish I would have done this. I should have done that. You know, and those things can be negative effects upon our mind that cause us to stay in our history, in our past, and they eat away at some of our brain power and how many know we need all the brain power we can get you don't need those things eating away at your brain power 
Especially, you know, as you get older, I, I, I find, you know, a lot of my friends and my neighbor, uh, we're, we're just good friends. And I found our conversation here lately, he'll start talking about something and he can't remember the next word. And, and you know, I say, yeah, we're getting older. And then it'll be the next time and I'll be thinking he'll help me out with a word. And, you know, it just, you know, there's things you forget. There's things you know it, but you forget it. Or maybe there's just too much in here and you just can't get it out. Listen here. (laughs) Here's something. This is very important. There's a slide for this. It says, we have to be aware of our perception of reality, that our perception of reality may not be reality. And our perception of reality can become our new norm, a bubble we live in. Now, have you heard that word new norm? That's a, that's a pretty popular term that I'm hearing more and more. And y- you know what that means? It means that if we can get enough popularity about something, doesn't have to be right. It just has to have popularity. It becomes the new norm. So if enough people, we can convince enough people that this is what we ought to do and that this is right, that becomes the new norm. That becomes our reality. I could really get off onto some political matters here, but I'm not going to do that. But I, I, I am going to leave you with what President Ronald Reagan had said. He said this. He said, there is no right or left. This is important. He says there is just up and down. What you say, what you do, your reality, the way you think, either goes one direction or the other. It takes you down, it takes others down, or it takes you up, or it takes others up. Forget the right and the left. What we're doing is we're not going around the earth and we meet on the other side. We're either going up or we're going down with the way we think. Our reality is either going up or it's going down. Which way do you want to go? I hope you want to go up. Otherwise, i got to preach harder. (laughs) You know, there are multiple studies about the way we think, the contrast between the brain and the heart. There are charts that have been made. There's uh, psychology that, that has studied all this, the difference between the brain and the heart, the difference between the logical and the emotional. And it's very difficult for us at times to keep a balance between the two. Balancing the brain and the heart can be difficult. Let me just show you an example here in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Okay, that's important, right? So what does he say? He says, administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Two things that God tells us to do. We are to administer justice and we're to show mercy. It's kind of right brain, left brain. It's kind of analytical it's kind of emotional it's kind of what's going on here well listen let's just look at justice for a minute what what is it to have justice let's say somebody hurt you what is it that you want you want to make sure that they don't hurt you again right justice makes sure that they don't hurt you again or justice is is making sure they don't hurt somebody else or maybe it's you want to be compensated from what you lost whether it was your time 
whether it was from an injury or whether it's your finances, there was a loss that you had. So you want justice. And God says, administer true justice. Justice is something that needs to be administered. But what about mercy? Well, mercy is, well, I might say, I want to give that person another chance. I want to show them what love and kindness can do. Mercy might be saying, I want to turn the other cheek because I want them to know that God takes care of my needs. No matter what you did to me, God cares for me. These kind of things cause us to wrestle because God wants us to be both thinking about the analytical and the emotional or the brain and the heart. He wants us to balance that out. He wants us to be able to walk hand in hand. Both of those aspects need to be working in our lives. There's a famous passage of Scripture. I'm sure you've heard it. You've probably even heard it sung. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verses 1 through 8. Where there's a time and a season for everything. Let's just go through a couple of these here, and let's just see the problem that we have in our thinking. For it says there's a time to be born and a time to die. Wow. You know, I remember when I was younger, and my friends, they would get sick or they would get ill, and the doctor would say this, say that, and I pray, God, heal them. Heal them in the name of Jesus. Now I'm getting older And I'm finding that some of my friends, when they get sick, I still want to pray, God, heal them. But there becomes a reality that there's a time to die. And maybe my better prayer is, God, help them to be prepared. Help them to get their house in order. I mean, it becomes challenging. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about you dying. I love you too much. But yet there's a reality that there's a time to die and there's a time to born. And so this messes with our minds. It says a time to plant, a time to replant. My wife, she's working on all the gardens. And yesterday there's a big vine growing over this uh, trellis type of seat. And she wanted to get that out of there. We had to cut it down and kill it. You know, there's a time to plant, a time to replant, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, time to mourn. Down in verse 8, it says this, a time to love and a time to hate. I'll tell you what, I for decades have had a problem with God. None of you have ever done that, I'm sure. But, you know, I have. I'm still alive because he's a merciful God. But God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That scripture always has bothered me. God, how can you hate a person? You you died for them, Jesus. How could you hate them? You know, we say, well, love love the the sinner and hate the sin. Listen, if you sin, you are if you are that. You murder somebody, you're a murderer. You know, that's a reality, and God hates that. And there's a hatred that God has towards you, yet there's still their love. I mean, we don't comprehend those things in our mind, but because there's a battle that goes on between the brain and the heart. There's the analytical thinking of administered justice, and there's the other side of having mercy and understanding how this works and when it works. It's a challenge, a time for war and a time for peace. No wonder we all think differently, as all these things from the time we're born have affected the way you and I think. There are no two snowflakes alike. Like There is none of us in here that are alike. We're all different in the way we think. And yes, we all think. We must remember that 
Our thinking controls who we are and our future. As different as we might be, God wants to take all that's been a process of your life and he wants and has a destiny for you, a future. So how can I stretch my thinking to fulfill the purpose of who I am and reach the ultimate goal of my future? Where do we start? Well, I like to build. And uh, the first thing that you got to consider is the foundation. So I want to give you two foundations. And you choose which foundation. This is very serious. Every one of us needs to pay attention to these two foundations because these two foundations are going to determine your outcome. The first foundation, I want you just to imagine a person who thinks there is no God. What conclusion is going to be their thinking? What's the conclusion in their mind? It is simple. Whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. Their perception of reality is whatever they want it to be. You know, history has proven this over and over again. Whether you take history books or, or stories that you hear, we can actually go back in the Bible, talks about one of these examples. It's actually in Genesis chapter 6. But before we get to Genesis chapter 6, I want to just take you back to Genesis chapter 1 because I love Genesis chapter 1. In fact, the first three books of the Bible is all God ever intended to write because everything after that was because we failed. Imagine that. So you want to go and see what God had planned, just read the first three chapters of the Bible, and it's all there. Everything is there that what God has for us. It was a beautiful garden. It was where heaven and earth were at the same place. God dwelt with man. What a beautiful thing. All the provisions beyond what we could ever imagine or do or enjoy was all there. And it was all in this garden, this little place on the earth that God had made. Remember that. Well, the problem was is that Adam and Eve, their thinking shifted just a little bit that, well, we don't need God. And the further they got from the garden, and the further the generations got from the garden, the more we forgot about God. Until the world came to a place to where there was only Noah and his family who believed there was a God. And God sent a flood. Now, why did God send the flood? It wasn't because they forgot God. God tells us why. It says in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. How great the wickedness. What is wickedness? Wickedness hurts other people. You know, it's injustice. It's no mercy. It's all the opposites of what God wants for us to enjoy. And he says, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. 
Now, the King James has it right here. There's a number of versions you can look at, but the thoughts of the heart, that's from the Hebrew. It's heart. Not talking about this thing that's pumping here. It's talking about this thing right here. The thoughts of the heart. There are the thoughts of the heart, and because they had rejected God, they had evil in their hearts. The emotions, their thinking was evil continually. Their desire was what? Me. You see, this is where life is going. For the person who says there is no God, life can only be one thing, and that's a game. How many of you like to play games? You know, my family, my wife, she's got her hand up. She's, yeah, I love play games. One of the games I watch them play all the time, they play what's called dirty board. You know, and dirty board is, is interesting the way they play dirty board because they don't play it dirty. You know, it can send you back home, uh, you know, if they land on you, and then you got to struggle to get out of home. you got to get a one or a six, or I don't know. I, I'm not that big of a game player. But, you know, they play to, well, no, we're not going to send you back. We're just going to try to win this game until Marty plays. <laughs> Marty plays to win the game. It's only a game, so I'm sending you back because that's the best thing for me, and that's the way this world is being played. That's the way people who believe there is no God play the game. That's how we get through life. The one with the most toys, what? Wins. That's what it's all about. When we think there is no God, the thoughts of the heart. The problem wasn't that they weren't analytical. The problem was is that they thought there was no God. Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death or destruction. Voltar in the 1700s, he said, If God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. If God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. You know, the Bible tells us that there's more than one God. It talks about all kinds of gods. It says our God is even our belly in one situation. We develop who our God is. Everybody has some sort of God, and it makes a difference in your life. And so the problem is, is when we say that there is no God, and then we try to create our own. The second foundation, the first foundation is is that there is no God. The second foundation is imagine the person who thinks there is a God. Their process of reality will be affected by the concept of that God. There are a lot of people who believe in gods, and, and their thinking is affected by that God. There are, there are religions that we wonder, how can those people do that sort of thing? How can these terrorists, in the name of God, do what they do? There's real questions. They have these gods. About 40 years ago, I woke up one morning with a terrible thought. I thought, 
what if? Remember those what if questions? What if the God that I was taught about as a little child from my parents and in Sunday school was not really God? I just believed in him because that's all I was taught. That's all I knew. I want to tell you something, that morning was a terrifying morning for me. I was afraid to get out of bed, literally, because I was afraid what would happen if I died that day without knowing the truth. I was terrified. I remember laying in that bed just in fear. It had gripped me. I, I, I honestly just could not get out of bed. I was that terrified. And then I remember there, there seemed to be a thought. It was like it was in the form of a question, and it came like it was coming from God. And it was this. And it's amazing that I can still, 40 years later, I can remember the wording. It says, I have, speaking of God, have I ever failed you? Even though you do not understand everything in my word, has my word ever failed? And I answered, no. Then the voice that I heard in my head, it said, then follow me till you see that I fail to be true. And I says, okay. Forty years later, over 40 years later, I'm still serving that same God. He's not, he still proved to be true. I've misunderstood him. I haven't always agreed with him, but everything I've found in his word, everything that he's spoken has been true for over 40 years for me. And not only has this God been so real and proven, he's given us his word, which is truth. He's given us his love, which is his son who came and died for us. He's given us his power, which is his son who rose from the dead. And what else confidence do I need to know that he is the true God? And if I know the true God, what will be the foundation of my life? You got to ask yourself the question. Are you going to say there is no God? Are you going to pick a God that suits your fancy? Or will you look at Jesus Christ and say, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and I will follow Him? Depending on your answer is going to depend on who you are and your future. Listen, all of us have been given... uh, creative abilities to think and I can I can and I do create in my my own reality but who created the heavens and the earth that I live in here's another way to say it I can choose to live in my own creation while dwelling in God's creation or I can choose to live my life according to the design of of the one who created the heavens and the earth that I dwell in. You can can dwell in, in denial anywhere you want, but it doesn't change the reality of where you're at. This type of thinking will stretch me and anyone else who thinks there is a God.
In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Oh, yeah, it is good that he doesn't think like you, because I disagree with you at times. <laughs> but God's ways are not our ways. I, I struggle with that, and I recognize it over and over and over again. It frustrates me. And i got to ask myself a question. i got to ask you a question. Is there any hope that we can think like God or understand God because his thinking is different than our thinking. And I want to share with you that there is. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, No eye hath seen, no ear hath heard, no mind hath conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I mean, God's prepared things that you haven't been able to see, you can't imagine, things you haven't heard about, and no mind has been able to think of or dream of those things bigger than life God has prepared for you and I. The saddest thing is we would miss it, but God doesn't want us to miss it. Why? Because he says in verse 10, he says, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. There's our hope. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit searches the things of God. Now, we talk about inviting Jesus into our heart. Jesus doesn't come into this thump, thump in my chest. Jesus comes into this thing in my head. You see, as you and I go through life and we listen to songs, those songs get in our head. I'll tell you, there was just the other night, Tori, again, she's just a pretty active girl. She was in a piano recital, and uh, and one of the little children was playing, and I'm thinking there, and I'm saying, yeah, I'm going back to my childhood, and I'm thinking about the dog, you know, knick-knack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone. This old man came rolling home, and a reality hit me. I'm that old man now. <laughs> you know, my thinking goes, oh, my goodness, I'm now the old man. I remember when I was a child. What happened all those years? <laughs> Things get in our head, and we remember them. Movies that we watch that get in our head and we remember them. They affect the way we think. And what God is saying to you and I, He says, let my spirit into your head. Because then I will be able to show you how God thinks. I will be able to reveal to you how the universe was created for your pleasure. It was created for you. God will be able again to show us what eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man when we allow the Spirit of God into our heart. That's where salvation comes. You want to connect with God? You have to allow the Holy Spirit to get into your head. And to get the Holy Spirit into your head is a prayer. But once we make that prayer, then it's beginning to spend time in His Word so the Holy Spirit has something to feed and teach us and show us. 
That's why it's important for us to be reading our Bibles, important for us to be in church, hearing the preaching, the teaching of the word and getting as much as we can so that the Holy Spirit can get into our head. But see, if the Holy Spirit ends in your head, even spiritual things you won't understand. Imagine, you know, what we've called the sun and the moon and we call those gods and all this and we we because we can't describe it can't describe what God has done. They're a mystery to us. Hope comes when we invite the Holy Spirit into our head. We trust in him. First Corinthians chapter two and verse 16, it says. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? I mean, you know, who who really can give instruction? To God, I've tried. I said, God, I really think this is the way you ought to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, thank goodness he's merciful to me. And then it says this, I, this just gets me, but we have the mind of Christ. It is possible for you and I to have the mind of Christ, even though we can't instruct him. Once we get that out of the way, okay, Lord, I'm learning from you. I'm not going to tell you how it's done. God, you tell me how it's done. We can have the mind of Christ. How you think shapes your future now and for eternity. You know, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at, uh, uh, to the Philippians and some great things about thinking. Think about whatsoever is uh, true, pure, and, or I'm sorry, he's, he thinks about uh, Christ and how that he humbled himself. And, but this verse here in verse 5, chapter 2, says, let this mind be in you, that's also in Christ Jesus. Just let it. Let the Holy Spirit in. Begin to just say, okay, I'm going to let the Spirit teach me and show me. When I look at life, when I look at my problems, when I look at what's going on in the world, let me just open up my mind to God. Holy Spirit, show me what's going on. Let the Spirit of God stretch your thinking. Well, let me ask you a question, or let us ask a question. How far does God want to stretch our thinking? That's a pretty big question. How far does he want to stretch our thinking? I, I just have to back up here and remind you. Remember I said some people like to think, and some people say thinking gives me a headache. I have to give a little warning right here that if thinking gives you a headache, you are about to get a migraine. So any of you women in your purses who have Tylenol, Excedrin, or any of those things, get it ready because there's going to be some of us that are going to get a met, uh, met, uh, whatever that big headache is. Migraine, migraine headache. See, as you get older, those words, they're there, but they're somewhere lost. Uh, so you're about to get a migraine. How far does God want to stretch our thinking? Well, look at this slide here uh, of Isaiah 55, 9. That's it right there. Look at that. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Many of us are living like we're living in, in New York City or Chicago, some big city 
where all around us is the traffic, the noise, the billboards, the advertising, the tall buildings all around us. You look in any direction, and all you see is concrete and mortar, noise and people moving around, all kinds of distractions, and you're trying to make your way through all of that. And God's saying, as the heavens are higher than the earth, you're at a place where the only way you can see heaven is to look straight up. You're going to get a neck ache. It's going to cost you. But the only way you're going to see it is up because there's so much going on all around you. Now, let me show you the next picture. Again, I get this from Isaiah. Here's this guy. He takes a ladder and he gets up above. Maybe he just goes out to, to a field somewhere. And in any direction you look because of the horizon, you know, the earth is not flat. It's rounded. So whenever you look around, you can see heaven, not only straight up, but all around. And that's the way God wants you and I to be able to see life. He wants us to stretch our thinking to heaven. Now, what does that mean? Before we get into that, I need to also, those of you who are having a migraine, we're, uh, some of you are having stress problems. And so I want you to think here about how we're going to deal with the stress, because this stresses me out if my thoughts have to go to the heavens. And uh, earthly thinking can cause anxiety. How many of you have been in the big city? And I, I mean, I, I get in big cities, and I, I get anxious, especially if i got to drive. I don't want to drive. I don't, I don't want to be in, the, in, in, in all of that. I want to be out somewhere. Um, and so it causes us anxiety. Do Christians have anxiety? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Why do Christians have anxiety? There's a good reason. Because we care. Because life matters. And when those things are being attacked with us personally or to others, it matters. We get anxious about it. We get sweaty. We get troubled inside. No wonder God says to us, cast all your cares upon him because we do have anxiety. The scripture also says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks. Why? Because we get anxious. These things matter to us. They bother us. And I want you to know that anxiety is something that Jesus had. He was human like us, yet he was God. He suffered a great anxiety. And you know what? He suffered in a place where you'd think there'd be peace and tranquility in a garden. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. All the anxiety symptoms seemed to be upon him. In fact, it says that he sweat as if it was great drops of blood. I don't understand what that means. I've heard all kinds of things. I've looked it all up. I still don't know what that means. But I do know what this means when he says in Matthew 26, verse 32, it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's anxiety. That's extreme anxiety. And he had every right because he knew what was coming. He knew the picture was black. He knew that the clouds were, were coming in upon him. He knew that his life was being threatened. He was about to lose it all. 
And Jesus, in this we're going to find in a minute, he began to pray the very prayer that he taught us. You know, it wasn't too long ago I was suffering chest pains because of anxiety. It was for several weeks. I had been going through a number of problems where businesses were, were struggling and, and more money was going out than going in. And, and there were friends of mine who had passed away around my age, and I'm thinking about all of this. I would lay in bed and I would think, yet I couldn't sleep. Because it was the worries, it was the concerns. And I would get up instead of staying in bed and walk around because the anxiety was shaking my body. I just couldn't stay still anymore. And some of you know what that kind of anxiety is all about. And Jesus had those same feelings of anxiety because as I was looking at these things that I was losing and, and here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a senior now. I'm looking at the golden years and I'm looking at, I want to be able to do things and what I have is being taken away from me. And I'm thinking, what's, what, what's my life going to be like? And I want this freedom to be able to serve the Lord and my freedom is being taken away from me. God, there's something wrong. God, I don't hear you hearing from me. And the stress came upon me and I did what I, always do I got into the word of God and as I got into the word of God one of the things that clicked in my mind was saying maybe I need to look at prayer differently than I am looking at it so I began to study prayer I began to study spiritual warfare and a few other things but as I was studying prayer and I looked at Matthew chapter 6 our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven I began to find a release that took place in me. And I want to show you this as it happened to Jesus because it was this story here in the Garden of Gethsemane that changed my life just a short while ago as I was going through chest pains and everything else. I'm a mature Christian. I, I believe that. And yet I was going through those things. I didn't know how to get rid of this pain. I didn't know how to get rid of this thing. I didn't know the answers. I didn't know anything except for I was losing all that I thought I needed. And Jesus, he's in the garden. And it's interesting. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, you stay over here and you pray part of the Lord's prayer. What part was that? Lead us not into temptation. Isn't that what he told him? He says, listen, pray over here that you don't become tempted. So he leaves them over there to pray, and then Jesus, he goes over a little further, and he prays, and as he prays, he says this. The first time he says, my Father, our Father, which art in heaven. Doesn't that sound familiar? My Father. Listen to these four words. They're very, very important. If it is is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as i will but as you will if it is possible jesus is struggling with the cup of suffering that he's about to drink and he says listen i don't want this thing i really want this out of my life i was saying god i don't want this thing i want this out of my life this is painful. This is not good. This is not what I see. I want for my future. And Jesus is praying this same way. 
Jesus goes back to his disciples, and what's he find? They're sleeping. I don't know about you, but there are times when I am filled with anxiety. I want to go lay down and hope when I wake up, it's all over with. That's all gone away. I don't know about you, but I many times I, I get full of stress and, and I go take a nap. You know, and that's what the disciples were doing. But what should they have been doing? Praying that God would not lead them into temptation. But Jesus, then he goes back over to pray and listen, there's a small little difference but so important in the second time he prays. He says, my father, he says, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. What did he say? If it is not possible. He came to a resolve in his heart. Where did the resolve come from? Father, not my will, but thine be done. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And when I came to the point of that prayer, and I took every Greek word in the Lord's Prayer, I took every English word, and I studied it, I looked at it, I prayed about it, I was memorizing it, all of those things, because I said, God, I see Jesus. This was your prayer. You just weren't teaching us how to say some uh, words you are showing us the way that you pray, how you come before the Father. And I want to unlock that for my life. I want to be able to come before the Father like you come before the Father. And here we find that Jesus, he comes to this point. He says, Father, it's just your will. I'm releasing this. I'm releasing all this into your hands. And, and I remember coming to that point. Things were only getting worse. But I said, Father, I know you'll take care of me. I know you'll take care of me no matter what. It was, it's right for me to work and to provide for my family and to build for my retirement. It's right for me to have good relationships, and there were some relationships that were falling apart. It's right for me to love those that had just died. All of those things, it was all right things. And yet... I had to come to a place of saying, okay, whatever your will is, I know you're going to take care of me. And the chest pains went. Peace came. I slept at night. And I can tell you months later, I'm still dealing with some of that stuff. It's, a lot of it hasn't changed. But I changed. It's what's going on between this year and this year is so important. As we come to the place and we say, not my will, but thine be done. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God wants to stretch your thinking from earth to heaven. It seems most of us, when we pray, our prayers are about deliverance. It's about getting rid of this cup of suffering, isn't it? We pray more about problems than anything else. And it's all right to pray about our problems. But sometimes that's all we know to pray. That's all we see. We don't see the big picture in heaven. All we see is our picture, all the skyscrapers, the buildings around us, our little world. When If we look up, there is heaven and God wants us to look up and see. And then, he, then we find that as Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean, as in heaven? We cannot answer that question unless we have the mind of Christ. Knowing the will of the Father who is in heaven. Notice that prayer. You first start off twice. Our Father which art in heaven and his will on earth as it is in heaven. Who can instruct the Lord? None of us. But we have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means sharing the plan, purposes, and perspective of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means, and if you're doing the PowerPoints, they're going to go fast right here. Having the mind of Christ means we understand God's plan for the world to bring glory to himself, to restore creation to its original splendor. I love that one. To, and provide salvation for the lost and the sinners. It means... We identify with Christ's purpose to seek and save that which is lost. It means to share Christ's perspective of humility and obedience, compassion, and prayerfully dependence upon God. Are you ready to have your thinking stretched? Are you ready to pray like Jesus prayed? Are you ready to think about heaven in a way that causes heaven and earth to overlap? The Garden of Eden. Let's go back and picture that again. Heaven and earth overlap. God said in the middle of the earth, all that he created, he created a garden. There was this place where heaven and earth overlapped. It was called the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve... They, in their thinking, as they listened to Satan at the foot of what tree? The tree of knowledge. There came a separation between heaven and earth. They were outside of the garden because their thinking changed. God was no longer in control of their thinking. The spirit was no longer in control of the minds. It will be as we put on the mind of Christ and seek God's will that heaven will again eclipse the earth. Look at this last picture. We're to pray, thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. I have a question where it overlaps, where we see the overlapping over here of the earth and heaven. I have a question to leave you with. What does that look like? What does heaven on earth look like? You see, heaven is more than just a place we go to when we die. Heaven is to be here on earth. God wants to stretch your thinking. He wants to stretch my thinking to heavenly thoughts. Not earthly thoughts, yet we have the, what am I going to fix for dinner? Who am I going to marry? There's all these questions and things that we have to answer. But the question is this. Are you thinking about heaven? When you pray, our Father which art in heaven, do you picture God, your Father, the relationship 
of a son or a daughter with their father. And here he is. He's in heaven. Can you picture that he has a kingdom and he wants his kingdom to be here on the earth as it is in heaven? As you pray that for that bread, give us this day our daily bread. Can you picture God feeding you, not just with another hamburger, but feeding you the word of God? Because the scripture talks about God's word as being bread. And then when it says, lead us not into temptation. You know, there is a leading. And you may be led into temptation. Jesus, his reward for fasting for 40 days and 40 nights was he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I mean, it didn't sound like a good reward to me. But where he was tempted of the devil. You know, we... And I found when I was going through things in Florida, I was saying, God, lead me not into temptation. There's a lot of things that are tempting me right now. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. See, the devil is there in heaven. You know, it's not just this beautiful place. The accuser of the brethren is up there and he's making accusations. There are demons that are up there. There's things going on. There's a battle that's going on in the heavens. Read about Daniel that is taking place here on the earth. And we need to see how God is strategizing and winning the battle. So as you pray, our Father which art in heaven, allow the Holy Spirit to cause you to think about heaven and how that should look like where you live. Most of us, probably in a week's time, we don't go 50 miles from home. But that 50 miles, what's that to look like? What is Waterville to look like? What would it look like if heaven was here in Waterville? What would it look like if heaven was in your home, in your school, in your place of work? What would heaven look like? That's what God wants us to think about. To stretch our thinking to heaven. Let us pray. I don't know where all of you are at in your thinking. It's impossible because every one of you think differently. You think differently than I do. But the question I asked earlier, the, the two foundations, which is your foundation? Are you living a life where you think there is no God and life is just a game and the one with the most toys wins? Or do you think that there is a God and this God is whatever I made him up to be? This afternoon, God is my stomach and I'm going to eat and I'm going to enjoy. Or are you serving? Do you believe in the true God who gave you his word so that you might know the truth? Who gave you his son because he loved you and showed you that heaven awaits for all of us in the future because he rose again from the dead? Which foundation is in your mind? Have you opened up your mind to allow the Holy Spirit 
end to your mind so that you might have the mind of Christ. If you've never done that before, if you've never opened up your mind, you've never opened up your heart, your emotions, you've never allowed Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. If you've drifted away and you need to do that again, I want to invite you to say, Oh God, I invite you back. I want to lead us into a prayer. And I'm going to ask all of us, whether you've this is your first time or it's you've done it before, you've invited Christ into your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Our Father in heaven, Would you join with me? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In my life on earth, as it is in heaven, I give you the control of my mind. I want you to work in my thinking. That I think in a way that brings about your purpose for my life in who I am and determines my future, which is eternity with you. I invite you into my mind. I invite you into my heart right now through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, make sure that you see one of the leaders here in the church, see myself. We'd love to talk with you more about having the mind of Christ, finding the greatest joy you'll ever experience. In just a short time, I'm going to be 66 years old. I've known this Jesus since I was born. And he's never failed me. He's true. I have an anchor, something that keeps me in the midst of the anxiety and the stress of life that bombards my mind because Jesus loves me. And he's given me a spirit. And I trust every one of you has that experience. You're not yet as old as I am. I trust that when you get to be this age, you will be able to say, My God has supplied all my needs according to His riches in glory. Amen? Amen. God bless all.